Revelation chapter 9, let's begin in verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like, a, like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's, women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with, the, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, and that, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to explore it verse by verse and to mine all of its riches. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we're not going to be a part of this time, Lord, but use these verses, Lord, to help us to be motivated to share your gospel and to help those uh, that don't know you at this point be able to be in a right standing with you so that they don't have to go through it either. Lord, use it for all the many other purposes that you may have for us. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are right in the middle of the Great Tribulation. 
There are three sets of judgments which constitute the totality of God's judgment. And as I mentioned last week and in other times, you can remember it by three sets of seven. You have seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And related to the seals, they are the seals on the scroll. The scroll. It's, it's likely the title deed of the earth there. And so this, these seals, Jesus was the only one worthy to break the seals. And the seventh seal are the seven trumpet judgments. So the seventh seal makes way, breaks forth into seven trumpet judgments. And are, these, these trumpets are blown by seven different angels. So once again, we're seeing a lot of sevens. And we went over that number seven in the beginning. Seven is the number of fulfillment or completion and so forth. This is all speaking of the complete uh, judgment of God. And all of the judgment that it's due, it's, it's, he's, he's not holding anything back. He's meeting out all of that judgment exactly proportionally uh, related to what's due the, the people on the earth. Now, last week we saw the, f- the first four trumpets blown and, and their associated judgments. But at the end of the chapter, we were told this fact. Look at back the last uh, part of chapter 8 real quick in verse 13, where it says in verse 13 of chapter 8, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So they've already been four, and so now today we're going to see some more, a couple more. And notice in that verse he says, woe, woe, woe. And so later on in these verses today we're going to see him highlight one woe is past and there's woes that remain and so forth. And so it's basically saying how... Uh, how horrid these judgments are and the, and, and the significance of them is so great and, and the extent to which these people receive these judgments is going to be so devastating to them that it causes these angels to say whoa related to these last trumpet three judgments that are being blown. And again, I keep mentioning it because I want to give us a full picture that these are cumulative. These are being added to other things in the past. All the other previous seals, the four horsemen and so forth, all these things. So the, this, um, this judgment is being added to and added to and added to. Now we begin in verse 1 of chapter 9. He says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to, to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So this fifth angel uh, has sounded, and so now we're seeing what judgment comes from that. Now he, we see the word star there. He says, I saw a star fallen. Now, he's, he's not, he didn't say, I saw a star fall from the sky. He said, I saw a star that had basically had already fallen there. And, then, and, and we've already seen these meteorites or these stars falling from the skies as part of the previous judgments and so forth. It would be very easy to say that's kind of what this is, but it's not. It's actually a, um, a, a demonic being there. And we know that because look at the middle of verse uh, 1. It says, to him. So talking about the star, to him... So that's a personal pronoun. That's not a it. It's a him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And the word key means authority. Anyone that has a key has authority over the lock or whatever the lock leads to, the room or the car or whatever. You have authority. So this, this, uh, 
This demonic being has authority now. It's been given to him. So remember, God is sovereign over all of this. God's the one that's calling the shots. This is his judgment. This is his time. He's rolling out uh, punishment and so forth. So he's given this key to this bottomless pit. Now, I've been called the bottomless pit at times. Uh, but it's, this isn't any one person. This is actually the, called the abyss in other places. It's in the center of the earth there, and there's a, and we talk, we see in other places in Scripture where there's certain demons that are being held in chains and so forth. There is a place, a pit, a, a bottomless pit that's in the center of the earth, and somehow there's a way to get in. There's a lock, so to speak, and and there's a way to get into that and and open it up. And no one has the authority to open that up except God, because I guarantee you the demonic realm would love have loved all this time to open up that shaft or open up that door and let all whatever's in there, the horrid things that are described here, out to cause havoc in this earth. But it has, it, they haven't been allowed to do it yet. So but now at this point, they're being allowed um, to do it. Verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit. Like the smoke, by the way, I was thankful I didn't get an amen when I said, I thought, used to think I was the bottomless pit. I was glad that there was an amen for that, just for the record. So, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So here's this smoke and um, came out and there, it, was, it, was, it was blocking the sun, was polluting the air and so forth. There's, the crust of the earth is a very, very, very small percentage of the whole mass of the earth. There is so much down there that we don't, that there's so much space down there that we don't, we don't even know very much about. We can guess and so forth. How many heard the thing where the, the Russians heard, had a hole and they uncovered this hole and they could hear down into hell and hear screaming and there's all this folklore that's out there and craziness, but no one knows what's down, way, way down in there. So this thing has been opened up. Smoke comes out. And it, that, it, that is not an insignificant thing that this smoke would come out and block the sun and so forth. It's, it's very significant. And notice that the smoke of a great furnace, there's heat down there. The sun and the air were darkened. But then, verse 3, then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. So the, those locusts, whatever they are, demonic beings, and they came out through the smoke. And so if you're looking at it, you would be seeing the smoke come out and then all these thousands and thousands and tens of, who knows, millions of these, these beings come, come out. And remember, you're putting yourself in the place of the people that are left on this earth. They're there. They're seeing this. They're probably tweeting, you know, what is that? Everyone seeing that? <laughs> or is it just me? What are those things? I don't even know what they are, but they're coming this way. I mean, uh, it, would, it would cause great fear. And it says that uh, they came upon the earth, and to them was given, of course, again, this is something that God is sovereign over. They were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Anyone ever get stung by a scorpion? Let's see who's gotten stung. One, two, Two? Only two of us have been stung by a scorpion. I've heard it's pretty painful. I don't want to find out. I've been stung by wasps and so forth. I'm sure it's a lot worse than that. But this, these stings will, will 
The, the sting of a scorpion will pale in comparison to these type of stings that, that uh, occur. Verse 4, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So these kind of, they're, they're a demonic being, but they're similar to a, a locust in the sense that they would have a tendency to, to, to harm grass and harm leaves, and that's what locusts do. And so they're commanded not to do that. They're commanded, you, you can't harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, only those that don't have that seal. Remember, we, we saw that the 144,000 male virgin Jews who got saved, who are going to evangelize the world, they have a seal, they're, and we're going to see more of that later, but they have a seal on their foreheads there. So they're not allowed to harm any of, of those uh, people. And it says, verse 5, And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So the implication here is, or the kind of it hints towards it, is that they would kill them if they could. If they were allowed to kill, they would kill man, but they are, are restrained from doing so. So they're, so they're going to do whatever they can to harm men. At, um, you know, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's being restrained right now. God is sovereign over every demonic attack. Job, when, you know, when the enemy wanted to do damage to him, he had to get permission from, from God to do it. So he was on a leash. And so he's on a leash today. So they were given authority to harm and to torment. I want us to notice that word torment. It's very important. And and they were allowed to do it for five months. And locusts typically have that cycle from like May to September. So even a natural locust, a non-demonic insect, they have that, that, that span of so forth. And, and then their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So this is multiple times. So these things just go out. Hundreds and hundreds of millions go out on the, uh, around the earth trying to find anybody to torture and to torment and to sting and so forth. Whew. Can you imagine having to f- try to hide from these things and try to not get um, stung by them? It would be, I mean, on top of the famine, on top of Everything else that's happening, cumulative effect, one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. Now you're having to deal with these things buzzing around trying to torture you. Then it says in verse 6, In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. A, a, A Roman historian said this, Worse than any wound is the wish to die and yet not able to do so. Can you imagine wanting to die and you can't? God will not allow them. They're going to be suffering and being tormented so much. They are not going to be allowed to die. They're not going to be allowed to. So we're talking, you, you imagine all different ways that we can kill ourselves, try to kill ourselves, and commit suicide. They will, they will not be able to do that. You can get as creative in your mind as you, as you want it. Like, well, what about this? What about that? They won't die. So they'll be even more mangled or, de- you know, I don't want to maybe decapitated, wouldn't work. I mean, jumping off buildings, overdosing, whatever it is, it's not going to kill them. So they're going to be suffering, 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 but they're not going to be able to have death as a solution. 
Can you imagine how horrible that would be? On top of everything else, you're getting stung by these things, extremely painful, and that, and that, and that lasts for five months. And remember, they don't know that it's going to last five months. It's not like the thing stings you and says, you know, talks to you and says, don't worry, this will be gone, this pain will be gone in five months. Yeah, they don't know how long it's going to be. I can't imagine that kind of pain. I don't even want to pretend to know what childbirth feels like, ladies. Um, can you get an amen? Amen, there we go, yeah. But I can't imagine a pain that's worse than that, in my mind, and just never ending. Just you, just with that limited, it's going to be worse than that, but just think of being in the, the, the most painful part of labor for five months. Just think about that, how debilitating that would be. Now, he describes the locusts in verses 7 through 10. He says, the shape of the locusts were like horses for battle. Now, he doesn't say they were horses. They were like horses. So he doesn't know exactly. He doesn't have anything to compare it to exactly. But he says they're like horses prepared for battle. Well, how are horses prepared for battle? They're arrayed. They're arrayed for battle. They have protection mechanisms. He's going to get into that in a minute. They have things to protect them against uh, attacks from the outside. They have um, decorations. They have their, their, you know, when your horses go out to battle, they go out with all the armor that they need to protect, and, and they also have things that identify them as the army of, of, of which they're a part. So he says they're prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. So they had at least two crowns, because he says crowns plural. Something like gold. So there was something showing they had authority, that they were part of a kingdom, that they were part of something greater than just themselves, that they were part of a a larger whole there. Something like gold. So that was the color. And their faces were like the faces of men. So picture a man's face with kind of like these crown things, but their bodies were like uh, kind of like a horse decorated for battle there. And then they had hair like woman's hair. That would be something that's would be something that's going for them. You ever see men grow out their hair and you compare that right next to a woman's hair that's long? Totally different. I mean, women's hair just women's hair is different than than our hair, and it's way more beautiful. So so they have um, hair like a woman, but face like a man, and crowns. And, and their body, the shape of them are like a, a horse for battle. And then their teeth were like lion's teeth. So they have these super, super sharp teeth. And they probably show those teeth. You know, and can you imagine how scary that would be? Of, you know, long hair, man's face with lion's teeth, with crown things that are like gold. And the, the shape of it's like a horse for battle. Just, ugh, scary. It doesn't say how big they are either. We're thinking like really small. I mean, it could be pretty big size coming after you. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. So that's like an exoskeleton there, something that protects their their torso area, some part of their body that protects them and so forth against, you know, maybe guarding their vital organs. You know, I don't know. But something, that's the only thing that John could compare it with is he knew all about breastplates. So he's comparing that to this of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. So it's like this, if you picture horses running, it's like this low, muffled, 
you know, like when you hear a horse race, you know, the sound of a horse race and the horses are going, that's the sound that they're, <laughs> that's the sound that their um, um, wings make when they're flying. So remember, once people see these things, they're going to see them on Fox News, they're going to see them on, you know, ABC News, they're going to see them on the internet, live feeds, they're going to be, what are these things? Remember, the, this is easier for us because it's our culture. The people that are originally readers of this, they wouldn't be able to picture it like as accurately as we can. So people are tweeting, they're posting things on Facebook, they're pay, taking videos on their cell phones of these things at first. Then they're hearing about these, these stings and they're getting close-up videos of that and, and they're being afraid of them and so forth. And then they see that they're not, the pain is, is horrible, horrible, horrible. And it's, it doesn't end and it keeps going. They also are going to be videotaping on their phones people trying to kill themselves. There's going to be YouTube videos of people trying to kill themselves but they can't. And people are going to be afraid. If I get stung with one of those th- by those things, I am not going to be able to get relief, even if I tried to kill myself. And and it's going to be horrible. And this, but then once they recognize that sound and they know what that sound is, just the sound itself is going to torment people. You know, you're you're washing dishes at your sink and your 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 windows open, your screen door is there, and maybe you wouldn't do that. I don't know, but you hear those sounds around. You hear that low thutter, thuttering um, kind of um, you know, low, low sound that just, you know what that is. And that brings a fear in your heart and you're afraid to go outside because you, because you don't know if you can escape these things. I mean, it just, I'm trying to give the most accurate description as best as we can of, the, of how tormenting it's going to be with these uh, beings. And verse 11, and they had as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. And both of those names in their languages means destroyer. So that's the name of, of uh, this angel, this star or whatever that, that unleashes the bottomless pit. Now it's tempting for us, and I've mentioned this before, that this is kind of overkill, like God's overdoing it, that he's being too harsh. And there's two things you need to remember. Again, we don't see and hear every wicked thing that's done all day, every day in people's lives. We don't see the wickedness and the damage. that There's so many crimes that are committed that no one knows of. People have no clue that these things have happened. Crimes all the time, but God sees it. He, we don't see all the times that people reject Christ and and basically treat that sacrifice where he gave his son sacrificially as nothing. Is, is, that sacrifice means nothing to me. And, and so we can't go there in our minds and think, wow, this is so harsh. I mean, are you sure that they deserve all of it? Yes, they deserve all of it. We deserve it before we came to know Christ. We deserve to be in the midst of all of this judgment. But thankfully, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. And it helps you see a little bit of... The, the strength of what the Father poured out on the Son, because all that wrath was commensurate with what we deserved and, all, and what these people deserved and so forth, to say nothing of hell for all eternity. The other thing I want us to think about is we need to see these creatures that sting people with incredible tormenting pain for five months as an expression of God's grace. And you may wonder, well, how, how could that be extension of God's grace? 
Because he's giving them a chance to repent. You want to live in rejection of me? Okay. You want to die? If you die and that happens, the torment that you're going to receive for five months, nothing compared to what you're going to receive. And there's no ending of, that tor- of, of your torment then. Right now it only lasts for five months. Then it's going on for eternity and it's more intense torment So I want you to think about this for five months. It's so debilitating. You have nothing really to think about except the pain that you're in and all all that you have to think about related to a decision for me. Because it's not too late for them to receive Christ. They haven't taken the mark of the beast yet. So he's saying, think about it now. It's like it's almost like a, a pain timeout. You know, you go over there, do a timeout for five months and think about what you're doing. And if after five months... You say, I still want to reject me, then I'll honor that. But you're going you're gonna to experience what torment's like without being able to stop it, just like hell will be. You won't be able to stop it in hell. You won't be able to kill yourself in hell and end it, just like this judgment right here. You won't be able to end it, and, it, and it's going to be a, a torment for five months, and there won't be any second chances. Here, there's a second chance while you're getting stung by these things. But then, there won't be. So it's just, it, is, it may not seem like it, but it's an extension of God's grace. Verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now this is coming from God, from heaven, from his throne. There was, remember, all the things on this earth related to the tabernacle and the temple were copies or models of the sanctuary. Now, we're told down in these, uh, you know, tabernacle and temple that we're told that it was a bronze altar. This is a gold, golden altar that's in heaven. So this is, this is where all this is originating from. And so it says, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying, verse 14, to the sixth angel who had, sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now notice the word release there in verse 14. They were bound. The great river Euphrates, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and it talks about that. And this isn't the last time we'll see this river. We'll see it in later parts. I believe it's chapter 16 uh, in the book of Revelation. But these, these demons are bound and, and they're, that's what they are. They're demons and they have a very specific purpose. Let's look at at, at, um, verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So notice the word prepared. These demons have been prepared for this very hour. He doesn't just say a generic, they've been prepared for this time. He actually gets specific. They're prepared for the hour and the day and the month and year. God knows exactly the day, month, and year and hour that this is going to take place. Right now, he knows when that's going to happen. And those demons are being prepared for that, uh, being a part of that judgment. But he says they were, they were prepared for it and they're going to be released, so they're bound, released to kill a third of mankind. And we've already seen God say that one of these judgments took out a quarter, 25% of the population of the world. 
now this is an additional third of mankind. I mean, that ends up being more than a half of mankind by this point, And we haven't even got to the bowl judgments yet or the seventh trumpet. And over half of the earth's population are dead. I mean, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that kind of death. Millions and millions and millions. There's 320-something million people in the United States. So we're just a, a 25% population would be all of South America, all of uh, um, uh, United States, all of Canada, and all of Europe. That right now would be 25%. If everybody in all those countries were dead, that would be only 25%. Now double that. That's how many people have died now at this point. It's huge. And by the end, only 25% of the world's population will be left alive, as I've mentioned many times. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million. I heard the number of them. So he's not guessing on the number of these horsemen. He heard the number. 200 million. You know, this should shock us, but it doesn't because we're so prepared for it. I mean, they couldn't even imagine. The world's population at this time was not 200 million when John wrote this. So 200 million doesn't seem like a whole lot. It just shows you how prepared we are and how close we are. Verse 17, And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, um, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So these demonic horses, they're being, let, they're being released. They have breastplates that have, they have multicolors, fiery red. And then this blue is like the kind of blue that you would see on a uh, gas stove. When you see the flame, that's this, that kind of blue. And sulfur yellow. And then imagine the heads of these horses were like heads of lions. So the, the body looked more like a horse, but the head was like a lion there. That's the best that John can do. I mean, that's why he says, sometimes he just comes right out and says, this is what it looked like. And other times he says, it was like this, because there's not really anything that he can completely uh, compare it to. But he says, out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So the, what we see at the doing the damage is not the riders, or, uh, any riders or anything, it's the horses themselves, these, these um, beings. You know, and it, it's going to talk about later, we're going to see the, the Valley of Megiddo and the Battle of Armageddon and so forth. And what's going to happen is there's going to, we'll see it as we get on, get further in the book, that there's a revolt in kind of the area of North Africa against the Antichrist. He comes down through Israel to squash that and he succeeds. He starts towards the end losing control. This is really at the very end of the seven-year tribulation. Then he hears there's problems in the north related to an army rising up against him. He goes back through Israel, because Israel basically is the center point for three continents. So he goes back up through Israel, and but that northern army threat is there in the valley of Megiddo there. And when you go to Israel, you can sit on the Mount Carmel and oversee the whole valley of Megiddo. And we're told, and we'll see it later on, that that battle um, that occurs there, because there's another army that comes from the east, there and they can travel there because the Euphrates will have been dried up and so forth. But that battle at the very end, when they see Jesus coming back in Revelation 19 with us behind them, they're going to unite. They're going to be all fighting each other, and all of a sudden they're going to look up and see Jesus and say, 
What are we doing fighting each other? We need to fight God. (laughs) What logic are you using? And you can read all about it in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 gets into it. What they say and so forth. Um, But at the end, that says that battle is going to be so great that the the blood is going to go up to the the level of a horse's bridle. That's how much bloodshed is going to be there in that massive valley. So it's going to be a huge, huge scene of destruction there. Verse 18. By these three plagues, that is the fire, smoke, and brimstone, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. So they have the head of a lion, their body's like a horse, but their tail are like snakes with heads at the end. And they let out this fire and smoke and brimstone, and that's what causes mankind to be killed. Something about that will be poisonous to the human, uh, to human physiolo- um, physiology and will, will cause men to die. And so, again, a massive amount of mankind will die because there will be 200 million of these things going around in addition to these locust demon thingies that are out there. You can look that up in the original Pig Latin. It is thingy. Um, Now look at the most shocking part uh, in verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Did not repent of the works of their hands. That they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, or, or their sexual immorality, or their theft. So they, they did not repent. And, and we're told here by their idolatry, their worship. Idolatry is your master passion in life. If anything that you put before God is an idol. It could be an idea. It could be a hobby. It could be anything. And we're not called to serve idols, obviously. God's a jealous God. But he reveals here in the middle of verse 20 and also in other places that there's a demon behind idol worship. There's a demon behind that. We don't look for demons under every rock. You know, we're not paranoid of demons. We don't bind demons. We don't do all these things that aren't biblical. But we need to recognize that there is a demonic element to people's uh, idol worship. You know, the thing that drives them, the thing that gets them out of bed that's not God. That all the things that they give their time, their talent, their, their treasure to, their finances, their, what, they, what they give up marriages for. What they give up things that are so valuable that are priceless that are from God for. Those things, there's demonic influence behind that. But look at their idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood. It's, I mean, they couldn't imagine that some of this stuff could be, you know, man-made things that people worship, that they put before God. How many times have people, have you seen on a Sunday, all these people traveling to all these places, and they could be believers that are taking vacation, and I'm not saying I know all their hearts or whatever, but the people that don't know the Lord, and they're filling their weekend with nothing but fun and pleasure and all that, and they don't know Christ, and they're living for now, and they're, they're leading their families in that. They're leading their children in that. It's horrible. They're leading their kids in idol worship, and they don't even realize it and, and look at the craziness he says at the end of verse 20 which could neither see nor hear nor walk they don't really have any value they don't have any uh they, they can't sustain themselves 
If you have to carry your God around, there's a problem. (laughs) If your God needs you for anything, there's a problem there. And then he gets specific in verse 21. They did not repent of their murders. So there's people obviously committing murders now. It's, it's, there's way more murders that are committed than we, than we know. People are getting more and more crafty of getting away with, with murder um, and so forth. But then he says sorceries, which is actually a, the word pharmakia. So we get our word pharmacy from. This is mind-altering drugs. Now, how much do we see that in our culture? That's sorcery. That's opening yourself up to the demonic world through altering your brain with drugs. That's all around. That's, our, that's the valley here. That's everywhere. And they wouldn't give up those things. Or sexual morality, that's rampant, that's everywhere. Or their thefts. It's all these horrific things. Now, we can see all these judgments, we can see all these things, and we can, again, say, well, that's not, that's not, you know, I'm not going to be there. But again, God calls us right now to warn. All through the Old Testament, God sent messengers to the Israelites when they were turning from God and they were rebelling to God and they were serving idols. He sent messengers to them, just like Anthony was sent as a messenger this past month to the homeless. Messengers to warn of what's coming. And, and they didn't, God didn't say, well, if they receive what you have to say, then you're successful. He said, you just be faithful to deliver the message. Jeremiah didn't have one known convert Completely successful. And that's why I'm looking forward to this, this uh, school of pastoral ministry because there's a lot of guys being discipled up in ministry who think that success means something entirely different than what the Bible says is success. They're measuring off a completely different standard. We just have to be faithful. Jesus said that at the end, he, he wants to be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, all of us have the power by God's grace you know, and, and his enablement to be faithful. That's all he's called us to be is faithful, consistent. That's the biggest thing that anyone that has an influence over someone else needs to have. Fathers need to be faithful. Dads need to be faithful. Husbands need to be faithful. Employees need to be faithful. Employers need to be faithful. Mothers need to be faithful. Brothers, all our relationships, if, I mean, you can pretty much take all the things down that are valuable and boil it down into being faith, uh, lovingly faithful. And that would be the essence of what, what bears fruit. And so related to them not repenting, that's important for us to see. You know, Jeremiah said, mentioning Jeremiah, we just mentioned Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, many of you may know this verse in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the obvious answer is nobody in this world. You can't even know your own heart. I love when people say, oh, you know, I can do this and that against God's word. God knows my heart. (laughs) You're right, he does. And it's guilty. It's wicked. He knows that. And the Bible is the only inspired book period, but it's the only book that reveals and tells the truth about man. No other book tells the truth about man, that we're evil. We're not going to say that about ourselves if we're making up a book. So the human heart is 100% against God. All of our sinful natures are, are just like the one who inflames them, the enemy, deceitful, and, and, and wanting to have total 
control. And it doesn't matter what you put in front of that heart. Apart from God's Spirit wooing and drawing a fallen heart or a sinful nature, it will never give up control, even in the face of supernatural evidence. We shouldn't be all that shocked that they don't repent. Because how many times did we hear the truth and didn't repent? How many times have we seen a miracle or something happened or a changed life? You know, this spring it'll be 25 years of walking with the Lord. I have relatives and friends that are still waiting for this phase to wear off. (laughs) Don't you remember who I was? I had someone a few weeks ago, they wouldn't, I'm literally, they would not believe me. I was trying to tell them who I used to be and all the foolishness and crazy stuff that I used to be involved in and all this stuff. They, they thought I was lying. They would not believe me. That's the change that, that can come. And so we, we think about these people here. They're refusing to repent. They're seeing all these supernatural things. The world is ending, so to speak. All this calamity, and they're still hardening their heart. And we're shocked. You know, something that was even greater related to demonstrating the hardness of man's heart? being right in Jesus' presence and hardening their hearts and not believing. He's doing miracles. He's raising stone from the dead. There were Pharisees there and others when he took Lazarus out of that grave after four days of being dead and he's alive and they still didn't believe. That's even greater revelation and proof and evidence than this ever could be. And they still reject. People say, oh, you show me God right now and I'll believe. No, you won't necessarily. Because they didn't believe what Jesus was in their physical presence. They didn't, they didn't believe what we have to say. So we have to understand how to handle people that are skeptical. How to handle people that won't repent. It takes precision to deal with them appropriately. Have you noticed that? It takes precision. Because what God doesn't want us to do is to give up on them. That's the last thing. He doesn't give up on them. All the way through this tribulation, he's extending the invitation to come to know him. He's, he's making way for people to be saved. He's giving them five months. He could have given them a, an hour and then they and lets them die or lets them die in the, during those five months, but he doesn't do it. He gives them time to repent and they still don't repent. And notice it doesn't say they can't repent. It says they won't repent. They have the opportunity. Anybody can repent. Anybody, because he's going to hold them accountable. So what do we do? How do we deal with hearts that are stubborn? I know that some of us have friends and family that are stubborn. We need to still pray for them consistently. And we need to still preach the gospel. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I've shared with them already. Did you believe the gospel the first time it was shared? Well, how do I share it again when they've already said no? You ask them, can I share this again with you? Maybe you didn't hear it. The, 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 you know, I'm a, a flawed communicator, so maybe I can share it again. I've had people say, yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll listen again. You know, it, there's, you just have to be consistent and not take it personally. Again, I've said it before. The mailman doesn't stress out if I'm going to pay my bills or not. He just, he just delivers the mail. What, what I do with those bills is up to me and the, whoever I'm supposed to be paying. So it's the same with us. We have to pray. We can't badger them. We can't harass them. We have to clearly communicate the gospel. But then also, once you've done that, even recently you've shared the gospel again or whatever, you need to demonstrate the joy of the Lord. We can't have Igor walking around. Oh, man, love being a Christian, having so much joy. I have the victory more than a carpenter. Or more than a conqueror. More, more, more than a conqueror. 
You know, hey, don't you want what I want, what I have? I mean, it's not going to happen. Let him see your joy. Let him see your peace. doesn't mean you have to be fake. I'm not talking about being fake. I mean, let him see that joy and that peace. Let him see the abundant life. Let him see when bad things happen to you and how you handle it. Not perfectly, like, I mean, including the struggle. This is what it's about. You struggle as a Christian. You have times of, of, of doubt. You have times of questioning. But God is gracious. You don't have to be perfect to know the Lord or serve the Lord. And, and then the other thing is to serve them. Love them. Serve them. Make their lives better. Go out of your way to make their lives better. Asking nothing in return. Let them see that unconditional love in action. It's not good enough just to say, I love you. Click. Talk to you next Thanksgiving. You know, you have to show it. Hey, do you need help moving? I would love to help you move. No, no one's going out of their way to help people move. I don't know if you noticed that. I'll help you move. Or, oh, you're sick. Can we bring dinners for you? I mean, there's, you have to serve. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to demonstrate love for them. And when that'll open doors, that'll soften hearts, regardless if you ever see it. It will happen. It'll soften their heart, and eventually they may come to you. Maybe it'll take the, the end of their life, but you've done all of this sowing and planting seeds and serving and loving at their end of their life, and they say, you know what? I know you're the real deal. Anyone had anyone tell them, I know you're the real deal that's not a believer? Raise your hand. So anyone tell you, I know you're the, the real, the genuine article? People see when you're the real thing. And they may not admit it, but when they're in a time of need or they need prayer or they're going to die, they're on their deathbed, they're going to call you. And you may have that opportunity to lead them to Christ. So don't get discouraged. Keep going. Keep sharing. Keep being consistent. Even if they harden their heart, it's going to happen here. We're going to see it. We're going to see it unfold in, in, in this, whole, uh, this whole world, how it all uh, unravels. We'll be in heaven and so forth. But there are going to be some in here that don't harden their heart. There are going to be some that receive Christ. That's why he, he dispatches 144,000 male virgin Jews that get saved to preach the gospel because there will be so many that receive God. So we can't say, well, you know, this revelation, see, they still harden their heart with all those judgments. So why am I even going to bother now? If they harden their heart then, then why should I even be sharing? Because they're not all going to harden their heart then. And they won't all harden their heart now. We need to preach that faithfully. And don't forget how powerful, consistent, faithful prayer is. Amen?